welcome. I really appreciate y'all tuning in to another episode of the Great Day Podcast. And I really want to thank y'all for all the great responses we got to the last episode with Skip Bayless. And today it's a great day to be joined by my buddy Caleb Price. What's up, man? Welcome back, everybody. And like he said, we appreciate you guys tuning in to episode one. Uh, we got a lot to bring to you in episode two this week. Um, got a great guest coming on, and we'll introduce him later. But uh, for now, I think me and Sam are going to sit back and, and talk about some sports and what's going on right now. So, um, Sam, what do you got for us? Well, Caleb, we actually do have some sports to talk about. Thank we God. got the NBA playoffs we coming back. up. We it's actually going to happen. We got some sports coming back. Um, I'm hyped. Saw that on Twitter from Woj today, and I was pumped. I was working today and uh, saw him bring up um, that the NBA is back. So let's talk about what format they're bringing. Um, kind of some funny stuff. So let's see what you think about it. Yeah, so it's a 20, they're bringing 22 teams back. And uh, basically all the teams that still had a shot to make the playoffs. And they're going to do an eight-game regular season, um, doing this all in Orlando. Um, and then they're going to lead into the playoffs. But, uh, Caleb, tell the people a little bit about what the some of the uh, suggestions are, some of um, the ideas that they're trying to do for home court advantage in the playoffs. So I saw via ESPN today, and, of course, I use Twitter for all of my um, sports news. You guys can follow me at Caleb Price one Had to shout myself out. <laughs> but um, – no, specifically, I want to talk about the seven foul rule. <laughs> so the alternatives to the home court advantage, since everybody's going to be in Orlando, um, we saw some stuff pop up today, and I'm just going to read these off. They said the higher-seeded team gets possession to start second, third, and fourth quarters. Higher-seeded team designates one player to be allowed seven fouls before fouling <laughs> out, and I'm going to touch on that here in a second. <laughs> Higher-seeded team receives one extra coach's challenge. Higher-seeded team transports their actual hardwood home court to Orlando, (laughs) which is absurd. (laughs) And higher-seeded teams gets their hotel choice priority. So Hey, they said home court advantage. They weren't messing around. This is – Honestly, there's some satire in here. I feel like I, I don't know if, that this is actually serious, but this was via Woj. Woj dropped this bomb on his Twitter, so it's got to be got to be believable. Man, but, we needed a Woj bomb. We well, I've, needed one. I've missed Woj bombs. Oh, they're great. Golly. So, no, but obviously these are just being discussed right, with the right. league, trying to figure out what the best way to give a team home court advantage and basically what will turn out to be kind of a summer league format. Yeah. Um, but, but it's going to uh, be fun, man. I, oh, I, I want to watch some hoops. Any sports, any basketball, any hoops, any anything. We That's need what, anything right now. I'm headed to watch my boy Kendra Talley in the Skins League tonight. He better put it on for me. I hear Trey Young's supposed Trey to be Young's over there, Trey Young's playing too. tonight, T. Ferg. So yeah. Oklahoma's bringing some boys out tonight. Yes, sir. Um, but, no, let's touch on the seven fouls because immediately who comes to mind <laughs> is none other than – I would say the probably second most hated man in Oklahoma, (laughs) one being you-know-who. Second, I'm going to say, is Pat Bev. If you give Pat Bev seven fouls, are we serious? He he gets away with 20-plus a game that aren't called, plus the seven that are going to be called. I mean, that's – I, I don't know. What do you think about that? No. So it says the higher seeded team gets to designate designate (laughs) one player. So, like – 
do you use Pat Bev to get those fouls, or do you just designate some dude to go in and foul seven times at the end of the yeah. game? Is this like a Kyle Singler situation <laughs> where you just send him in? And How pissed is Perk right now, bro? Oh, my God. Kendrick Perkins would thrive. He, he would. would. He would thrive in that. Yeah, that, actually, that's he's he's number one on the lottery, NBA lottery draft pick for the, the player to receive seven fouls. I mean, obviously, anyone with a brain should – not allow this to happen. Yeah, I don't but think it's right. I, I mean, I, it's just not. I mean, I'm a what's, traditionalist, but th- I mean, yeah. this is just too much. What's crazy is even growing up in a basketball family, playing basketball, my pops is a coach. For the longest time when I was young, I didn't even know that the NBA gets six fouls. I just thought five <laughs> fouls. So I already thought that that was ridiculous, but seven <laughs> is wow. Yeah, so go on go on to one of these other ones right here. Okay, so the next one down the list, higher-seeded team re- receives one extra coach's challenge. That could actually be pretty advantageous, I feel like. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and, I mean, these coaches' challenges um, I think are beneficial. I think if you're going to have replay, you should have coaches' challenges. And Absolutely. It, I think that's a pretty fair way to giving a team a home court advantage, per se, because um, – I mean, normally the the home team gets the better calls during a right, playoff right. game. Normally, so. that and and I mean, we got replay and and these are NBA officials. Um, the the refs are solid, honestly. I I hate refs, but the <laughs> the NBA refs are okay. They they've been on a gradual downfall, I feel like. But replay helps them out. But I mean, they're they're human. They miss calls, so. The coach's challenge, I think, I, I think that's a good ad, good ad in my opinion. The seven fouls, I would say bad ad. I think the coach's challenge, I'd give it a good ad. Now, the one I want I want to talk about is this one reminds me of playing some college sports, and <laughs> it says the higher seated teams get the hotel choice priority, yes. which <laughs> which yes. means does that mean they get the nicer hotel or the nicer rooms in the hotel? Know. We'll see. But it reminded me of like when you're on a college team and. I play golf, and so like the one man got his own hotel room, and so I was super, I was super excited to hear that uh, maybe the higher seated team would play harder in those eight games to get a nice, nice comfy suite up there or oh, penthouse no or whatever. Yeah. I think that's hilarious. All my boys from Oklahoma Christian know about staying in the hotel. In Guyman, <laughs> Oklahoma, playing Panhandle State, not yep. not the first choice on the list. So. <laughs> No, and and Drake says we don't stay at the Intercontinental, so <laughs> that's big you know, <laughs> yeah. So no, yeah, I thought that was funny. And then another one on here: higher seated teams transport actual hardwood <laughs> home court to Orlando. Explain to me how that even happens. <laughs> they take it on a truck and they take all that wood, literally, yeah. and, and do the thing where you see the ice ring gets they're, changed. They're laying them. the wood. They're, they're laying, laying the, the wood, wood, man. I mean, imagine just <laughs> imagine hey, but they're taking home court advantage. Literally, literally. <laughs> honestly, that I think it's kind of a joke, but there is something to be said for you know. Think about somebody like the Celtics who play on a different type of court. That you know, it's all this the the squares and what looks similar, what looks different, like. So I, I don't know if that's a huge advantage, but, I mean, I think as the home home team, you would be pumped to see your logo on the court. Like, okay, we're playing at home, although they don't feel that way. So I don't know if that's one that is an actual advantage. I'm going to go indifferent with that. Yeah. I'm going to say the, the hotel is towards a, yeah, 
I guess so. But let's be honest. These are all NBA professional athletes. They're going to put them in nice hotels. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, to be honest, these eight games, they're more worried about trying to get the better matchup against the actual players that they're trying to play against yeah. and not the home court advantage anyway. So, um, Caleb, we're, while we're still on the subject of the NBA – um, let's get more into the seeding and who we think is going to play who and who might end up holding that championship yeah. trophy. It, First of all, which what seems like an entire decade ago, <laughs> the infamous game that set us into this swing was a Thunder Jazz. It was, and it was a pivotal game. Jazz without Rudy Gobert. Thunder are going to win that game, flip-flop the seeding, which I don't know – if that would have actually been good for us, right now as the seeding sits, we're in the fifth seed. Jazz are the fourth. That puts us on the same side of the bracket as the Lakers, which is obviously the favorites. I think we match up better with the Clips, and uh, we get our, our, our Rockets in the second round if, if we win the first round, which I think would Man, be – That would be insane. Russ coming – well, oh my God. not Russ coming back. Russ coming to Orlando yeah. to, to play on the – to play on his home wood. Yeah, and <laughs> home wood, if they, brought, if they brought the home wood. Yeah. That's but what I want to know who's, like, in awesome. charge of that. Is, like, that a ring-in to, like, Chesapeake Energy Arena? Like, all right, game one at 7.05 Eastern time. Can you guys please fly out the home court? Now, here's another situation that I wanted to talk to you about is that I just thought of is um, – so they're waiting until July 31st to start this. Right. Are they going to start off in Orlando and then possibly come back and have fans for the for the end of it? For the I have playoffs no idea, but finals? I hope so. I mean, that would be – I think that might be one of the reasons. There's no reason why they shouldn't start in June. Yeah, they may I think be they ready. Should, or at least in, out at the start of July. But July 31st seems like a long way away. And I know that the NBA is trying to move their schedule permanently um, a little later. But um, I think that would be interesting to see if these – uh, towns and states and cities end up opening up uh, things to have events and fans, um, it would be really interesting to see if the NBA would come back from right. Orlando and have fans and playoff games with fans. Right. I'm about to pull up the seeding because I want to see. I'm just looking right here, and we got the Trailblazers in the ninth seed. I want to see if they got it, what their odds are to get in. Pull this uh, Western Conference. And, and you know, Dame and uh, C.J. McCollum were really outspoken about how, like, they they want the season to continue and they want as many regular season games as possible because right. now they're at full strength and they hadn't been at full strength before and now they're trying to make a playoff push being in that ninth seed to try to take over the Grizzlies and get so that eighth seed. they are 29-37. and 37. Grizzlies are 32-33. and 33. So... They're, what, three and a half games back? So they're three and a half games back of the Grizzlies in an eight-game schedule. What are the odds you think they flip the script there? be pretty low. Yeah. I, I, I think so, too. In my opinion. And, and I just – I'm a big Dame guy, even though I know all this – you know, we waved goodbye to OKC. We all hated to see that. But I'm a Dame guy. That's me, – me He's and, a killer. Yeah, he's a killer. Me and T. Gooch, we share that. He's he's a big Dame guy, too. We, we share that together. But – um, I'm going to put my money on, on the Trailblazers not making the, the playoffs, even though I am – I, I like CJ too, honestly. That, I mean, they're a good squad. I just think that they put so much pressure on themselves if they got these max contract guys and these quote-unquote good team, and yet they're not making the playoffs. And, and I see Dame pretty active on Twitter sometimes. You know, he's usually 
piping back at guys. And but honestly, I, I think it's I think it stays how it is right now. I don't know that eight games with everybody sitting out as long as they did. You don't think that D Book can make a push with the Suns from the thirteenth spot? Hey, that's that's the only sleeper. That's the only sleeper. He's <laughs> what, a, like let me see book. how how far are they back? Hold on, let's see. There's. Give me that number. Is Memphis is 18. They're 24. So they're six games back. So they got to go. They got to go eight and two. And the Grizzlies have to go two and eight. And there it would be a tie. Anything can happen. No, no, no. Six, did I say six and two or eight and two? It's eight games. Six and two and two and six. Yeah. But, hey, if D-Book gets hot and goes <laughs> for 50 every night, yeah. I, I will never forget this. Last year, I had a parlay. had a seven-game parlay, which – those of you that bet sports, that's not a smart thing to do, obviously. <laughs> Seven-game parlay, what are the odds? But, you know, I like to bet small, win big. So, seven-game parlay. It's late. There's a, uh, they're playing Golden State out on the coast, so it's one of the games that starts at, like, 11 or 12, whatever. I'm six for six on my parlay, feeling good going to bed. I'm like, all Golden State has to do is beat the Suns. The Suns are trash. Golden State's up 12 or 15 at half. I'm like, okay. I'm going to go to bed. Let's take care of, take care of business, Warriors. I'm going to wake up, richer man, and then we'll place my, place my winnings on some college football that Saturday. Sure enough, D-Book goes for like 40 in the second <laughs> half. And I, I, put, I wake up in the morning and see that there's no money in my <laughs> betting account. And I'm like, what is going on here? What happens? So I turn on SportsCenter and D-Book's just going crazy. So oh, that's crazy. It can so, definitely happen. So, Caleb, to kind of round out this NBA talk, uh, who do you think is going to end up in the Eastern and Western Conference Finals and then in the NBA Finals? Okay, so my Western Conference Finals. God, this is so biased. I can't even say it with a straight <laughs> face. <laughs> Western Conference Finals is going to be the Lakers Thunder. Oh! <laughs> hey, I'm sticking, I'm sticking with it. Lakers Thunder, Western Conference Finals. It's like Hoosiers in the NBA. Yeah, and, and honestly, I... I don't know that I can take him any farther than that. I got to go with Braun probably in that. I say Braun. I got to go with Anthony Davis. Yeah. Sorry, little bro. <laughs> Anthony Davis is going to carry that team. No, and then on the Eastern Conference, man, the Bucks are great. They really are. And Giannis is great and unstoppable, and they got some good pieces. But I don't know that they can carry that out in an actual playoff situation. I'm going to go with Raptors on that. So – I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Raptors Lakers in my finals. Who you got? Obviously, uh, I'm a big Thunder fan. I think that they're just gonna win one series, maybe. Uh, I think that it, more realistically, it's gonna be Braun and the Lakers versus the Clippers. I think that that's the matchup that right. everybody wants to Which see. Which would be honestly would be and fun to watch. I'm cool with awesome. it. I think it would be a great series. Um, I, I really think that the Lakers would probably take that one in probably six or seven. I think that obviously the Clippers are going to lock down defensively, and they got Doc Rivers. Um, Does do they put Pat Bev on Braun? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it it worked a little bit when the Pacers put Lance Stevenson, oh, but, but blew but in his P. ear. P. Bev is a little bit smaller than Lance Stevenson, yeah. so I mean, we'll see. Maybe a little mental mind game action there. Yeah. And then in the East, there you got the Bucks, and honestly, I'm gonna put a little sleeper. I think the Heat 
are going to make like the NBA Finals. I like that. Little Bam out of Bayou hey, out there. My guy, Tyler Hero. Yes, Tyler Hero. A walking filling it up. Buckets. Buckets. Yes. And so, and honestly, we're going with the Heat and the Lakers in the NBA Finals. Heat Lakers. And then Braun. Braun, as yeah. much as I – hey, everybody calls me a Braun hater. He's still top five That's of all time. That's what I was about time. to say. I, I am top five not of a Braun time. hater. He's the best player in the league this year. I am very pleasantly surprised to see he has upped his defensive game over the past year. And I think that Braun deserves it this year. And, for sure. And he's going to win it for Kobe. Yeah. Shout out, Kobe. RIP. Rest in peace to one of the GOATs. And I will not hear anything else – other than he's top three all time, yeah. I refuse. No I refuse to tolerate Kobe slander. Absolutely, everybody knows that. Always everybody have, knows always that. Always will. No, that's what last night. Last night at dinner, because my brother, little bro, love him. That that's my guy. He's the biggest LeBron fan of all time. And we walk out of dinner. It's my mom's birthday. Happy birthday, Dina! By the way, June second, star was born. <laughs> but uh, we walk outside. We're taking pictures, and and I got my Jordan ones on. And uh, I look over, and little bro's got his Jordan 3s on. I'm like, dude, how can you slander MJ, and you got Jordan? What, you're not wearing LeBrons. You're wearing Jordans. <laughs> no, we, exactly. we like to give him a hard time. But, no, um, I, I, I'm just glad it's back, dude. Honestly, I, I, dude, so glad. I, honestly, I'm a huge Braun fan. I mean, you, got, you have to respect a guy coming straight out of high school. Yep. Young kid coming out of high school. He doesn't know how to compose himself on a professional stage. And he's done nothing but good for the NBA throughout his entire career. He's playing better than ever in whatever season he's on. What is this? Is 17. 17. Yeah, you're right. Year 17. You're right, you're right. And, I mean, he's playing better than ever. You, you just have – you have to respect the guy. It just – when it comes down to the conversation of MJ or Braun, I always go with MJ. That's just my guy. He's. I think he's more of a killer, but – that doesn't mean that we're Braun haters. Exactly. That's so, a different conversation yeah, I, I, for a different day. Yeah. But I think the Lakers take it, though. It's it's hard to go against the yeah, Lakers. I mean, so, they're stacked. So we're rolling with the Lakers. And now I think it's time to roll into our interview with our special guest today, Kelvin Sampson, the head coach of the Houston Cougars. Um, I really hope you all enjoy this interview. And if you do, please rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And without further ado... Let's hit the interview. Let's go. And today we are joined by a legend in the world of college basketball, a man who has been the coach of 16, would have been 17 this year, teams that have made the NCAA tournament, head coach of the 2002 Oklahoma Sooners team that made the Final Four, and now the head coach of the Houston Cougars, the king of heart hustle and hardwood, <laughs> Kelvin Sampson. <laughs> Kelvin, thank you for coming on with us today. I really Welcome, appreciate coach. it. You know what, guys? It's, it's an honor to be on with you guys. Um, I'm, I'm catching you guys before you guys become uh, famous and powerful and legends yourself. <laughs> well, really we appreciate that. it, Coach. Well, Coach, um, obviously we wanted to have you on to talk about a sport that we both love, which is basketball. Um, but obviously basketball seems small compared to the things that have been going on in America lately with the COVID and the quarantine and then obviously the murder of George Floyd. Um <laughs> I think you have a voice that a lot of people respect and you've spent most of your life bettering young men across the country. Um, I would just like to hear a few thoughts of, of about the recent protests and how you think that we should move forward as a country. 
You know, I've, I've seen some positive things um, just in the last uh, week. I've seen um, um, white men, white women, white boys and girls uh, joining black girls and boys, uh, black men and women uh, in protest. I've seen them hold hands. I've seen them uh, raise both hands up in protest. Um, um, I've, seen, I've seen a lot of good things. You know, I, I don't think that, you know, systemic racism is inherent in our country. You know, you think about um, um, 250 years ago, or, um, thereabouts, we, we fought a civil war. And the uh, principal reason with the war is uh, the, the South wanted to continue a, a way of life, life built around uh, slavery. Um, but our country is bigger than that. Um, and I don't know how much how much um, people pay attention uh, to history, but that's what systemic racism uh, is. It's, it's built into the fabric of our of our country. But I think it's up to the each generation that follows uh, to fight against it. And that's one of the reasons why when I watch TV at night, these protests, uh, hardly ever did you see uh, different race races come together to fight against something as bad as what happened to George Floyd. And I don't, and let's not forget George Floyd. You know, we, we, we talk about something that's uh, uh, as, as big as racism, but George, George Floyd lost, lost his life to a, uh, a rogue cop that didn't respect um, a, a black life, a black man, you know, and this is, this is not about all lives matter. This is about black lives uh, matter because what's happening in our inner city to, uh, the black men, uh, black boys, black women, black girls. And, um, you know, I coach those kids. Uh, I, I recruit kids from those mothers, from those fathers. And, um, I go into, uh, different, uh, parts of this country. I remember going to the ninth ward, uh, to recruit Hollis, Hollis Pius in, in, uh, uh, New Orleans, um, East Birmingham, Alabama to recruit Benny Seltzer, who was, uh, probably my key recruit at Washington State uh, University, um, um, Bronx, New York, for, for uh, uh, Nolan Johnson. Um, and I can go on and on. But all, all these kids come from somewhere, you know. And right. um, there's a disrespect, I think, that uh, um, that black kids have had to fight, fight against. Um, but something like this is bringing it to the forefront. And I think as each generation passes, it's going to get better and better and better, and that's why we have to keep fighting against it. I think those are really wise words, Coach, and um, kind of transitioning from one heavy subject to another. Um, you know, uh, let's go back to March um, when your Houston Cougars found out that uh, their season was going to be canceled uh, mm -hmm. due to the COVID, and, uh, you know, me being a college athlete myself, I know that my team took it hard, and um, I, I just wanted to know inside your locker room and, and kind of everything, how did uh, your players and, and your coaching staff handle having a team that was ranked and um, committed to making a big run in the NCAA tournament, having their season yeah. uh, cut short? You know, um, we had just finished uh, on that previous Sunday. We had played our last uh, regular season game. Um, we clinched the tie of the uh, conference uh, regular season championship uh, by beating University of Memphis. And so 
Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we got a uh, first round bye, so we weren't going to play till Friday and Friday night. So we were we were driving up Thursday morning actually, and um, and I got wind of it the night before. Um, Wednesday night, I, I kind of felt like there, this was coming, and then when Rudy Gobert, uh, it came out that he tested uh, positive. You, you almost could uh, read the tea leaves uh, that the domino effect. Uh, was going to come from the NBA. And so uh, we were driving on I-45 from uh, Houston to Dallas uh, that Thursday morning. And um, we were about an hour and a half out of uh, Fort Worth when they when they told us it, it was um, the tournament canceled. At the time, it was just the conference tournament. And so we were thinking, well, you know, maybe, maybe they'll play against the double-A tournament. Uh, we didn't see that one coming. Um, and then by the time we got back to uh, Houston, the season's over. And I had one senior. Man. And I think the toughest thing was seeing his reaction. Ugh. You know, you think about it. This, this kid had a great career at University of Houston, uh, Chris Harris. And uh, his season or career basically ended on the back of a bus on I-45 uh, heading, uh, heading south. Yeah, that's, and that was a tough way, a tough way to end tough. your career. Ugh. Yeah, that's what – um, to touch on that a little bit, actually, um, my my dad and his team were on the highway headed up to Tulsa. They had just got to Tulsa and turned around. He had a couple seniors that that he had to watch with their their seasons in. So you never yeah. want to see that. It's 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 so tough. But um, yeah, just kind of touching on that. I want to transition. Um, I know that your your dad coached you, and obviously you coached Kellen and. And my dad's dad coached him, and then and then I played for my dad in in high school as well. I wanted to know what are the the pro some of the pros and cons that you've seen throughout your career, as as you know being a coach's son and then coaching your son. Um, just touch on that a little bit for us. Yeah, well, my my dad was um, um, was the guy that's probably influenced me more than uh, anyone else. Um, you know, he, he had a certain style uh, that he believed in. Um, he coached for 30-plus years in North Carolina. He was inducted into the uh, North Carolina High School Coaches Hall of Fame in uh, 2000, 2003, I think, was the year. I remember our family went back for the uh, induction ceremony. Um, but, you know, back, back then uh, when he coached uh, – that was before uh, segregation. Um, you know, people, you know, Brown versus Board of Education, which signaled the, the end of segregation was uh, 1957. My dad finished college in 1953. And uh, so it was in the uh, uh, early 60s, mid 60s, and they still had not segregated. It was, it was I'm sorry, it was still segregated. Um, um, I think Charlie Scott was the first black player at the University of North Carolina, if I'm not mistaken. That was 1967. So my father came up at a time when, um, you know, you didn't play against white players. You played against uh, uh, um, black guys, played against black guys, uh, Native Americans played against Native Americans, whites played against whites. And, and then uh, by the time I got to uh, high school, it was it was segregated and and it was a completely different world uh, for us back then. Um, you know, Martin Luther King was assassinated in 1968. 
when you think of the race riots, usually you think about the you know mid to late '60s. Uh, that's when the world was changing. Uh, Vietnam. Uh, we were in war in uh, Southeast Asia. Um, uh, John F. Kennedy was assassinated in 1963. His brother Bobby was assassinated right after that. So the 60s were the turbulent uh, 60s, and and having having uh, my father being a coach, but also a history teacher, uh, really was a big impact uh, on me because he was a voice of reason, a great leader, uh, someone that uh, was a, a huge um, kind of an institution in our community. You know, back then, high school coaches only had nine-month contracts. So he taught and coached for nine months. So the other three months of the year, he had to find employment to uh, support his family. Now, he taught driver's education. He sold Lincoln Life uh, insurance. Um, He uh, worked at tobacco markets. And he sold World Book Encyclopedia. So when I think of my dad as a a coach, I also think of him as someone that – uh, showed our entire family what a great work ethic, what a great work ethic was. What happens when you when you work hard, good things will happen to you. That that was one of his favorite sayings to us. Um, but I had three sisters. I have a twin sister that uh, graduated from the School of Pharmacy at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Had another sister that graduated from uh, the School of Physical Therapy at the University of North Carolina, and. Um, had an older sister that was a um, was in education as a school teacher over 30 years, but that's you know we are all byproducts of great parents. My mother was an RN, a nurse, um, and they provided for us. But more importantly, they gave us a kind of a GPS of what hard work will do um, if you believed in yourself. So I was lucky I had great parents, especially coming up in a, a turbulent time in this country. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's a that's a testament to them and a testament to itself, just of the successful careers that all of you guys have had. So you can see that he right. kind of prided himself in hard work. That's awesome. We appreciate you sharing that. Oh, you bet. You know, I was, uh, um, you know, we're all products of our environment and uh, the environment that Absolutely. I, um, uh, the environment that I was lucky enough to come up with in in the uh, southeastern part of North Carolina and. The, in the 60s and 70s, uh, I had great friends, great family uh, experiences, and uh, I was uh, lucky to have uh, uh, two hardworking parents that, that uh, uh, came up uh, from, from hardworking families. You know, um, you know, nobody on my father's side, my, my gr- none of my grandparents ever went to school at, uh, past the eighth grade, you know, and that was um, um, by necessity. Because when you when you grow up in the rural South, when they grew up, um, you know, you had to work. Right. You had to get in the fields. You had to get in the fields in the uh, summer and and in the fall. You know, you pick cotton up until almost October. So it uh, wasn't time to go to uh, wasn't time to go to school. So um, you, usually the general. My dad was born in 1929, and my mom was born in 1932. Uh, and both of them are, are college graduates, and I think that speaks highly of uh, their families. That that uh, even though their parents didn't go to college or finish high school, uh, they made sure their children did. And Absolutely. and I was lucky enough to have parents that uh, emphasize that to uh, our family as well. Absolutely. And uh, so, Kelvin, a lot of people around here in Oklahoma, 
Uh, remember you for being the legendary coach for the Oklahoma Sooners back in the early 2000s and 90s. And um, I know that those basketball teams were the teams that taught me how to love the game of basketball. I mean, I remember dry, uh, out of my driveway when I was a kid uh, diving for loose balls because my dad said that was <laughs> what that was what Kelvin would have wanted, you know. And, and yeah. Um, yeah. what I really wanted to know, um, specifically with that 2002 Final Four team, um, how has that connection uh, kind of continued to this day, specifically with Hollis Price and Qantas White? Um, and because obviously they're still on your staff there at Houston. And um, just what do you remember about those days? And what do you what do you take from those days uh, in your time at Oklahoma? You know, when I think about that team um, in, in the last um, six months, I've had a conversation with Blake Johnson, Joseph Zendre, uh, Jason Dietrich, wow. Darren Selby, Jabari Brown, Aaron McGee, <laughs> uh, Hollis and Qantas. Those uh, were my heroes, Coach. Yes. And Ebby uh, <laughs> Iraq. Yep. Uh, and, my, and Michael Kano. <laughs> um, every, every single person on that team, I, I still stay uh, in touch with. That's awesome. Um, yeah. That's... They, they've all, they've, they've, they've got, uh, they're all married. They all have children. Uh, they're all doing great. Um, Darren Selby's actually a uh, referee. He's, he's actually moved up to doing some NEIA uh, games, and um, uh, he's kind of excited about that. That's one of his jobs. That's awesome. Aaron McGee is uh, uh, just finishing up his career. He's, he had an awesome, long, long uh, professional career. That's amazing. Ended up in, uh, in Japan and Korea, and now he's going back finishing up his degree. Um Hollis and Qantas both worked for me, and um, or we actually worked together. You know, they, it, it's kind of neat with your ex-players. They go from being your players to being your friends. You know, Hollis and Qantas are, are great friends. I, I had an hour conversation the other day with Renzi Stone, for instance. And, yeah. um, you know, Renzi and I still stay in touch. Um, he met, he wasn't on that team, but Renzi and Tim Heskett were cornerstones of starting what we call the Absolutely, and don't don't forget uh, about Eduardo Nahara and Ryan yeah, Humphrey Eduardo. and all those guys. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Yep, yep. And just in the last month, I've heard from Ryan Humphrey and uh, Eduardo. Eduardo's uh, Eduardo's daughter is going to be enrolling as a freshman at University of Oklahoma in the fall. Wow, wow, that's how awesome. That? How about that? That's uh-huh. crazy. Isabella, that's... Isabella, Isabella Nahara. <laughs> Hey, that's that's what it's all about, man. That is truly what it's all about. That's yeah, what coming from yeah. a coach's family, I I love to hear that, and we have some similar stories. And a um, um, couple other questions we had here. I was just curious, you know, from your transition from college to NBA back uh-huh. to college, you know, you've coached yeah. some of the pro guys. You were with Houston, James Harden, you know, players like that uh-huh. that are great. Mm-hmm. What are mm-hmm. some things that you took away um, from professional basketball compared to college basketball and and maybe what a practice looks like now to you and maybe some things that you took from the NBA um, that, that help you now? Yeah, uh, first of all, I love the NBA. Um, I had a hard time leaving uh, the NBA. And, um, and once I came back to Houston, I almost went back to the uh, uh, NBA. But um, um, – you know, my experiences were with three different head coaches, and um, it was an important time for me because I had, you know, I was a head coach in college when I was 25 years old. So I didn't really know what other head coaches did. I was a head coach uh, 
at Montana Tech for uh, baptism by fire. Yeah, by four years. Um, I, that tells you how hard or how tough or how bad the job was that they hired me. They did a good <laughs> job. They never hired me. I trust, trust me. That's the truth. Um, but then I leave there and I go to Washington State. I was the head coach in the Pac-10, coaching against Lute Olson and Mike Montgomery and Ralph Miller and those guys when I was 31 years old. And yep. Same thing. It was, it was probably the hardest, toughest job, but that was the only kind of job I was going to get uh, back then. And then, uh, But, you know, we, we were able to succeed at both of those places, and that was a springboard into going to the uh, uh, University of Oklahoma. And, um, um, you know, along the way, you come up with something you believe in. Um, and, and I think you have to know who you are because you, before you can become the best of who you are. You can't try to be like somebody else. I didn't. You know, I it, and uh, you said it right. It, it is baptism uh, by fire. You know, uh, I didn't know any college coaches other than Judd Heathcote and my coach, the coach that coached me in college. That, that was it. But those guys didn't coach at a school like Montana Tech, where every degree curriculum required a minimum of 30 credits of math because it was all engineering. Um, so it was a different kind of coaching there, different kind of kid I was recruiting. But I had to learn, and I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, I learned a lot. I tried really hard not to make the same mistakes twice. Um, and each year I think I, I, I got better and better. Uh, but I had great kids to coach that, that really helped me. I, they probably helped me more than I helped them, actually. And then when I got to Washington State, same thing. You know, we, we, we had great kids. Uh, Benny Seltzer, who was my assistant for nine years, um, you know, believed in, believed in what I was selling him when he was an 18-year-old um, High school senior came out to Washington State. He could have went to the University of Alabama or Auburn. But he came to Washington State. And uh, when he left there, he broke Reggie Miller's all-time three-point shooting, three shooting record in, wow. uh, in the Pac-10 at the time. And uh, then I had another kid that played for me. He broke his record. So we had good players. Um, Nate Erdman, who I took from Washington State to Oklahoma, drafted by the Utah Jazz. And um, I had another kid, uh, two other kids that got drafted off of the uh, last couple of teams I had. And then when I got to Oklahoma, I kind of knew who I was as a coach, kind of knew how I wanted to coach. Um, but I was also replacing a, a legend in Billy Tuff. And Billy had his style of coaching and the way he played. And, uh, uh, and he had great success uh, at Oklahoma. Um, and... and and if people were to ask me, I think the two greatest coaches Oklahoma's ever had was uh, Bruce Drake and uh, Billy Tubbs uh, because of the impact they had on the program. I think those two guys impacted that program far more than people will ever know. Um, but I was, I was lucky enough to uh, come in a time when um, the Big 8 was moving to the Big 12, and I think that helped everybody right. uh, in that area. You know, before Texas schools moved uh, – moved north and, and then uh, everybody kind of came together with with the uh, Big 8 and the, and the four Texas schools and became the Big 12 and uh, created a lot of great memories, a lot of great rivalries. You know, Texas, Oklahoma went from football to, bat to also basketball and also to the, to the other sports. Um, um, you know, Sherry Cole was coming into her own at University of Oklahoma and Sherry had some unbelievable um, uh, teams uh, there with the uh, Stacey Dales and the Paris Twins, and um, she had so many great players and great program, great programs while I was there. So, 
it was uh it was a fun time uh joe castiglione was um uh he was the maestro he kept everything organized and put us all in the position to be successful um you know i i tell people that and uh i went through four football coaches you know gary gibbs my first year howard schnellenberger my second year and then my third year john blake so i had three in three <laughs> years then uh john i think lasted uh three or four years maybe and then uh then they finally figured it out with Bob Stoops. Then I think I was right. with Bob for Bob for seven years. Big so, game, Bob. Yeah, yeah. It was just a good time uh, with a lot of success, uh, a lot of great people. Um, inheriting Ryan Miner and John Onches that first year, I got very I got fortunate, and you know we made NCAA tournament right out of the gate. Um, then we built it and got, kept getting better and better. Um, Oklahoma State was so good at the time with uh, um, with Coach Sutton. Um, God rest his soul. You know he's such a great coach. I, I know his success and just having him over there, I think, really motivated us and and, right. and made us better. So it, it was a great time in our in our careers and and uh, wouldn't trade it for the world. I, I love I love coaching uh, at the University of Oklahoma. Absolutely. Yeah, appreciate you sharing all that. That's 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 good stuff and and. I'm super passionate about basketball. I actually played baseball in college, but in my mind, I, I wished I would have played basketball just because I love it so much, just coming from around my family and everything. But um, right. obviously, you know, some of the things that you touched on coaching is obviously a, a culture that you got to build. And you talked about how you learned how you wanted to coach and, and what you wanted to coach and, and how you wanted your team to play. So tell us a little bit about what you're looking for when you're recruiting, you know, some of the keys and, and, things that players do and don't do you know what are yeah. you looking for when you go out obviously they got to be able to hoop but you know what are some of the sure. what are some of the intangibles you're looking for when you're talking about recruiting uh, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with intangibles um you know, i recruited a kid uh, i think it was my first year named ernie abercrombie and um i went to see another kid on his team actually is at weatherford junior college there was a six nine brazilian kid that we went to see um, actually, I think he wound up signing with Bob Hoffman at uh, OBU. Uh, Bob did a great job uh, recruiting him, but we couldn't take him at Oklahoma because of uh, uh, his transcript. And he was an excellent student. It was just his uh, he had he had a hard time with um, speaking English at the time, if I remember correctly. But by going to see him, I noticed a kind of a big, chubby kid that uh, uh, just seemed to stand out for to me because he's always where the ball is if it's a loose ball he got it if he hit the rim came off to the left he was always to the left if it hit the rim and, and came right back uh straight out he was that's where he was if it right. hit the rim and bounced right that he was there if it was a loose ball on the baseline he got it now those are intangible how do you teach somewhere to be someone to be where the ball is you know dennis rodman always had that uh, uh intangible right um that's what made him a great rebounder he he, could, he knew where the ball was going to be so I asked the coach about that kid. He said, well, coach, I, you know, not many people are recruiting him. I think he's got a visit set up this weekend for Wayland Baptist. Wayland Baptist? Huh. I said, what is that? I didn't even know what Wayland Baptist was. And, um, but <laughs> long story team. short, yeah, long story <laughs> short, we, we took Ernie, and uh, I think he started for two years. We, I remember his uh, first year we played Kansas on Big Monday. They had just been ranked number one in the nation. 
They had Jock Vaughn, Jared Haas, um, Greg Osis Tag, uh, Brian, um, Pollard, uh, and a couple other dudes. I mean, they had some dudes. Right. And, uh, and I started John Anches, um, James Maiden, Ryan Miner, Ernie Abercrombie, and Calvin Curry. That was my starting lineup. And, uh, <laughs> I think, I think, um, Ernie made one three all year and he had a big three. We were down one and he made a three to put us up two and we went on in one and Lloyd Noble that night, you could have taken a match, <laughs> unlit, held it up. And I think I, I honest to God, I think the, the, the intensity in that gym that night would have lit that match. <laughs> um, but that, but that was an unbelievable night. We went on and I think that team beat six ranked teams that year. Wow. Not only did we beat Kansas when they were number one, we also won at Iowa state on Fred Hoiberg senior night. Now, um, wow. uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Hil- uh, Hilton Magic up in Ames, Iowa, but uh, Fred Hoiberg was an excellent college player, and uh, that team went up there and beat them. We beat uh, Oklahoma State that year when they went to the Final Four, beat Missouri. They were ranked ninth in the nation. Um, that team just came together. That team had great intangibles. It had a star in Ryan, had an excellent college point guard in John Oshis, and then uh, kind of a uh, do-it-all guy. Um, deck of all trades and Ernie and Calvin Curry was, uh, uh, he was kind of crazy, but he was a good kind of crazy. He would right. shoot it from anywhere. So <laughs> I, I enjoyed that team. Um, I have to give Billy Tubbs a lot of credit too. Billy recruited most of those kids and, and, um, we, we added a couple of kids to him, but the best players on that team was I inherited. So a lot of credit to Billy for that. Hey, that's, that's awesome. And coach, I mean, you're, you're famous for the uh, for the intensity and the and the blue button down with the tie. A question that yeah. I have always wanted to ask you, and I've never been able to, is, you know, how do you know when the right time is to rip off that jacket? And and to be honest, coach, I watched a couple of those uh, Houston Cougars games this year where the tie didn't even make it to the end of the game either. Yeah. <laughs> no, you know, um, when I was uh, the the coat thing, I can tell you when that started. I was, we, we were in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. I was at Montana Tech. And um, uh, back then, when I was coach at NAI school, um, you know, we, we had to, uh, we had a bus we could use. Uh, the Milwaukee Brewers had a rookie league team that was in Butte. They used it in the summer, and we used it in the winter. Now, if the temperature got to a, a certain degree, the bus wouldn't work, so we'd have to go get a van. But um, we played, uh, we left Butte, we drove six hours north to Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada, played them on a Friday, on a, uh, no, a Thursday, Thursday on a Friday, we flew, we drove after the game to Calgary, uh, Alberta, Canada, played them on uh, Friday, and then on Saturday, we drove up to Edmonton. Now, by the time we got to Edmonton, we were playing, uh, a tournament that was a Saturday and Sunday. So, yep, that's four games in four days. Um, on that game on on Saturday in Edmonton, I think that team, um, and I'm guessing now I don't remember, but I think they went to the free throw line 50 times. I'm not sure we even shot a free throw. So I took my coat off and threw it at the referee's feet trying to trip him. Um, <laughs> um, 
I say, hey, what, what are you going to do, throw me out? You, you know, <laughs> you, guys, you guys are jaking this so, so bad. I, I don't know how much worse it can be. Uh, but, Did you um, get tossed? Uh, uh, yep. Got Surely, tossed. yeah. Surely got tossed. <laughs> and, um, but after that, every game, I just, the coach never made it. And, it just, I, and I think it was because I was more comfortable coaching without a coat. I just never – I wore the coat as a respect because my dad always – Right. Coat and tie on, yep. So I made sure I did the same thing. <laughs> but I was never comfortable coaching with it on, so I took it off. The tie thing, uh, just is more em- emotion. Sometimes I'll get upset yep. at one of our players or <laughs> or uh, our execution or something or the referee, and I may snatch it off. But uh, never, I, that, that's never planned. I, a, I never know Has a coat ever made it a full game, Coach? Uh, the coach never made it uh, a half. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's made it to the second TV timeout, but most times it goes the first TV timeout. Yep. Yeah, that, that's that's that code doesn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And usually, and usually, I've had some nice suits that nobody ever gets to see. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what my my dad used to be a coat and tie guy and just and exactly from what you said it was just because his dad wore a coat and tie but he's kind of transitioned a little bit into he'll wear some polos every now and then but if it's there a, you go. if there it's you go. a championship game of a of a tournament or the state tournament or state finals he'll he'll be in a, a coat and tie but the coat makes it yeah. probably thirty seconds. You know, yeah, yeah, I'm not. I'm not. You usually, big on the, uh, you usually just sweat the coat off. Coat. The tie is, like you said, more yeah. emotions. Yeah. But yeah, I've been I've been lucky that most uh, Washington State, Oklahoma, uh, Houston, all, all the schools I've coached that seem to have red in their color. So I've always had a uh, you know a crimson or some kind of red tie, and uh, I actually still wear some ties at Houston. I'm sure I wore it at Oklahoma. <laughs> Coach, so. Tell me this, just you, you've kind of touched on just some coaching tree type of stuff. I've picked up on, you know, who you've coached against, who you've coached with, and who you've coached as players. Just off the top of your head, who's the, the best coach that you've coached against in a game and who's the best player that you've coached against in a game? Well, I've coached USA teams. Um, I, I was the head coach of uh, two junior national teams, uh, one, one of uh, the first junior national team I had, uh, actually we trained at Oklahoma, and then we played in the junior world championships in Athens, Greece, and my starting backcourt was Vince Carter and Steph Marbury. So I coached those guys when they were um, transitioning from their senior year in high school to their freshman year in college. Um, I was an assistant coach on another USA team that George Rafflin was the head coach, and our best player was Tim Duncan. So I was with Tim for 36 days over in the uh, Soviet Union, um, uh, St. Petersburg, and also uh, Moscow. Uh, had another USA team. I was the head coach, won a gold medal in Halifax, Nova Scotia. My starting point guard was Chris Paul. Um, so I, I've Decent coached a player. bunch of those. Yeah, yeah I've coached <laughs> a bunch of those kinds of players. Um, I recruited and coached Eric Gordon at uh, Indiana. He was okay. really good. Absolutely. Um, um, NBA, you know, I've had uh, uh, Andrew Bogut and uh, Brandon Jennings as a rookie at uh, Milwaukee. Right. Um, I was with uh, San Antonio for three months when um, with uh, Manu Ginobili and uh, Tony and uh, Tim. Wow. Those guys were there. Um, but you know, it's it's, um, it's it's those guys that you recruit and you build a relationship with through recruiting, and then you 
you coach them in college and then you watch them graduate, those are the ones that you have lasting uh, memories of. You know, Hollis Price, uh, his four years, you know, he, he was a uh, standard bearer uh, for me, uh, even now. Uh, you, know, I, you know, guys that don't come in ready to practice. You know, Hollis is a great example that I coached that young man for four years and he never had a bad practice, ever. When I say ever, um, uh, I don't mean, well, maybe towards, no, none, ever. He never had a bad practice. Wow. Uh, he, he, he had great practices, and that's why he was always consistently good because he was consistently good every day uh, in practice. Eduardo Nahara uh, was the same way. Eduardo didn't know, but uh, one way. Uh, I used to have a rule in practice that if you started fighting, we didn't break it up. <laughs> with Eduardo, now, with Eduardo, I had to change that rule because if you start to fight with Eduardo, uh, there weren't going to be but one ending to that. That's why I stopped it. <laughs> hey, that's what so, all good coaches say, though. Yeah. The, if the, yeah. the point guard's got to always have a good practice. Can't be a good team yeah. if the point guard's having bad practice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, your best player, your best player needs to have a have, be good practice player too, because that usually, that usually, uh, um, uh, you know, gets gets into the other kids. If you don't have to coach effort and attitude with him, uh, usually you don't have to coach effort and attitude with your team. Right. Uh, yeah, and so I really appreciate you being here today with us, Coach. And um, just my last question, Coach, is. Uh, Obviously, your last season was cut short, but what? how's the team looking for, for next year? I know you got some bad news with Fabian White, but obviously uh, the team is still looking to do big things next year. Just kind of give yeah. the people who don't yeah. know uh, what uh, what your aspirations are for next season. You know, I, th- I think um, uh, I, I know this for a fact because uh, um, somebody sent me a graphic. I think our record the last three years is 83 and 20. Um, and we've won two straight uh, conference championships. Um, you know, obviously, uh, NCAA tournament appearances, Sweet 16. Um, so we, we've been on a good run here. Um, but I think the next couple years, next two or three years, could be our best years. Because last year was the youngest team. We were uh, the youngest team I've had. We started two freshmen. A sophomore um, uh, uh, and two juniors, so we didn't start any seniors last year. So we've got all those kids back, and then um, uh, off the bench, uh, we didn't have any seniors uh, except our our uh, five men. We have a rotation at the five. Chris Harris, Chris Harris was in the rotation at the five, and he had a good year. But uh, we have a good recruiting class coming in. Uh, we have a six-six left-handed guard that was. Uh, I think he was top 60 in the nation in the ESPN top 100. So he's a he's a he's a talented kid. Uh, we have a 610 kid from Evansville, Indiana, um, that I think has a really high upside. Very athletic, aggressive, outstanding shot blocker. Um, so you know, we we just my assistants do a great job of uh, uh, finding players. I think our staff has always done a good job of evaluating. We're probably better evaluators than we are recruiters. Um, and that's always been more important to me is, is finding the right kind of kid. You don't have to be very smart to figure out who the best player in the gym is, but there's always one that, that can help you win just as, in a different way. And we've always yeah. taken pride looking at that kid. So uh, we'll be good again. Um, we'll probably be picked to win our league. But our league is tough. Uh, Wichita State yep. uh, will always be good. Yep. Um, Cincinnati will be good. Memphis 
will will be good. Um, um, teams like South Florida, SMU, uh, Frank Hayes does a great job over at Tulsa. Um, you know, it's, it's just a good basketball league. So it's um, um, and it, and and I think we drive each other to be better every year. So I'm excited about next year. This will be a good team. Absolutely. Well, Coach, I really appreciate your time. Give Kellen and the rest of the family our best. Um, I sure will. And just know you're still loved here in Oklahoma. You're a legend. Well, and I, I really appreciate that. the time today, Kelvin. You've been so gracious. Well, I appreciate that, guys. And I wish you all the best. Uh, uh, stay safe and uh, say hello to both your families for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, right, Coach. We one, appreciate Coach. it. Okay. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you. See ya. Bye bye. And that was Kelvin Sampson with us on episode two of Great Day Pod. Um, Man, we were just pumped to have him on today. Uh, We love to talk about basketball, but more importantly, you can just see how great of a guy Kelvin is. Um, Super wise, gave us some good answers, and and you can really get in deep of his coaching career and what it means to him as he talks about his family and how he keeps up with them and his players and their families and how he keeps up with them. He talks to them, you know, on the daily, weekly, monthly, so – you can just see, you know, how, how much of a legend he is. So, you know, we were just very grateful to have him on um, episode two of our podcast. And, and you know, we're just excited to get going. And, and you know, again, Sam, how happy we, we were to have him I mean, on. Just so gracious that he was with his time. And, you know, he's just an absolute legend and cannot be a better guy. And, um, it, I mean, not that it's hard to find that, but, I mean, you just don't find that everywhere. He's such an amazing – individual and amazing human being right yeah again we appreciate your time kelvin thanks for coming on and um if you guys that are gracious enough to tune into our pod please follow us on twitter at great day podcast on instagram it is at great day pod uh sam's twitter sam humphreys 34 my twitter is caleb price one instagram as well as caleb price one and we'll be you know, retweeting and sharing and posting on each of our Instagrams to try to get that out. Um, like, subscribe, listen to our podcast on op- Apple Music and five Spotify. Stars, five stars. Yeah, five stars only. So um, we're going we're gonna to take you guys away, and Sam, send us out. Hey, God is good. All the time, and it is a great day to have a great day. Hit that music. Hit the music. Lord, I guess he's doing all right. And it's a great day.